I'm Richard Morris from Canberra, Australia. In 2014, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. After taking the dietary advice of the Australian Diabetes Association, I became more diabetic. No! Yes. I did some research which led me to the ketogenic diet. Spoiler alert, I reversed my type 2 diabetes by drastically reducing my carbohydrate intake and increasing my consumption of healthy fats. In 2016, I was determined to help my buddy, Carl, by showing him what I did and the science behind it. Hey, y'all, that's me. I'm Carl Franklin from the United States. I also used to be a type 2 diabetic, but not quite as severely as Richard. Yep. Mm -hmm. I devoured all the info Richard sent me, and after a mutual friend went keto to address prostate cancer, I also went on the ketogenic diet. That was in February of 2016. By April, I was in full swing reversing my diabetes. We're not doctors, so we don't give medical advice. We're just a couple of dudes on the internet who reverse their diabetes by following a ketogenic diet. Yeah, and we just want to share our experiences and Mm -hmm. what we know about the science behind the ketogenic diet. So we started this podcast to chronicle Carl's journey and to bring solid information to those curious about this kind of dietary lifestyle. Right. And now we have over 200 podcast episodes, some of which have been downloaded hundreds of thousands of times. Mm -hmm. And after failing miserably on Facebook. (laughs) Miserably, yes. (laughs) We gave our Facebook page a Viking funeral and moved our online community to the ketogenic forums where now tens of thousands of people share their experiences. We also founded an annual ketogenic festival called Keto Fest. Yeah. Carl and I are both software developers, and we normally found ourselves at software conferences several times a year, and we tended to gravitate towards the conversations that happen in the hallways. Sure, the talks are great, but it's the community that we enjoy the most. So Keto Fest is designed as a conference to discuss the latest research of keto diets, And it's also a festival celebrating the ketogenic lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And right now you can put yourself on the mailing list to be notified about Keto Fest 2022, which we plan to host in October 2022. Just go to ketofest.com to add your name. And as a side note, if you tried to sign up before and got an error, try it again. We've since fixed those issues. (laughs) We've fed the gerbils. (laughs) And that's the royal we. (laughs) (laughs) Go to ketofest.com and add your name and email address to the list. So, Carl, what is a ketogenic diet? Well, it's a diet where instead of burning sugar and starch for energy, our cells preferentially burn fat. That produces molecules called ketones that our bodies use for fuel. That's right. Our primary molecular fuels are glucose, which we make from carbohydrates, and fatty acids, which we make from fat. Our cells have two modes. In one, they burn glucose and make fat, and in the other, they burn fatty acids and make ketones. But you don't have to eat a high-fat diet to be ketogenic, right? Well, when you're starting out, you may have to, but then in a few weeks, as you become better adapted to burning fat for energy, when all of your calories come from fatty acids, the amount that you need to eat becomes coupled to satiety, which integrates not only the variable amount of energy that your body needs to run every day, but also the amount of fat that can be drawn down from storage. So how many carbohydrates do we need to restrict ourselves to in order to get into that state. Yeah, that depends. Some of us who are metabolically disordered need to get below 20 grams a day. Someone who's quite metabolically flexible can probably eat as much as 100 grams a day. Okay. How about other nutrients like protein, minerals, and essential cofactors like vitamins and essential fats? Well, for protein, you need from 1 to 1.5 grams for every kilogram of lean mass that you have. And beyond that, you just waste the excess by turning it into energy instead of using fatty acids. 
As for the other essential nutrients, if you're eating fatty meats or eggs, plus leaf, a few leafy green vegetables, you'll get most of those because the organisms that made those foods have already concentrated a lot of essential cofactors. Ketogenic diets are varied and delicious. Mm, yeah. They can be vegetarian or carnivore, home-cooked mm. or takeout. Hot cuisine. Hot cuisine! <laughs> <laughs> Always cracks me up. Or just bacon and eggs. As long as your carbohydrates are low enough. And hey, if you're an absolute beginner, check out our Starting Keto episode for more information at start.2keto.com. So, Richard, how have you been this week? Uh, I've been pretty good. I've been uh, researching protein leverage, which is uh, it's a hypothesis that uh, became popular about uh, two years ago. It's been it's been in the literature for quite some time, but uh, I'm I'm looking into some of the the background, and I can guarantee that the protein leverage hypothesis will be some malarkey in the future episode. Oh, okay, mm, yes. But other than that, no, things have been good. How about you, Carl? Um, first of all, I got to tell you, I really, really liked listening to, again, to uh, Stephen Finney's interview with oh, you. It was good, wasn't it? It was. And it was a great reminder of the things that your body does in the absence of carbohydrates that uh, collectively just make you more healthy. Mm. Uh, you know, it was just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Yeah, I tell one thing about the interview. I was so nervous because Stephen Finney is the original yeah. gangster. I mean, he he's is the, the OG. guy, and and I wasn't that experienced with interviewing, and so you can tell how nervous I was because I was like blurting everything out, like uh, yeah. you know, Steve Steve Carell in Bruce Almighty, you know, fanboy. And, <laughs> and the funny thing was that as I was, so I I always listen to podcasts at double at double speed, and this one mm. was even worse because I was getting faster and faster, and it was like. Every time uh, Stephen F Professor Finney almost couldn't finish a thought before I was on to the next thing, and I was so excited about the whole thing that by the end of it, we were, the pair of us were racing each other yeah. <laughs> to come up to come up with ideas. So, uh, yeah, no, it, it was uh, it was uh, it's one, still one of my favourite episodes, and that's why I chose it. Yeah, one of the highlights of my life actually was having Professor Finney come to the VIP party for Keto Fest 2019. That was and serving right. him my food. I have a picture of him in line for 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 beef. You know, <laughs> nice. the sous vide beef. 72 and, hour sous vide beef, yeah. Right. And I also remember quite vividly after dinner, just going out on the deck where we had, you know, some tables set up for people to eat. And he was just holding court with about <laughs> eight or nine people. And I thought, we are the luckiest nine people in the world right now to be able to just sit down, have a meal yep. and talk about whatever. And of yeah. course he was doing the talking. He was. Yeah. He was. Yeah. That, Everybody was wrapped. The VIP parties at Keto Fest are, uh, are something special because yeah. it, they're limited. Not we can, There's only a few people that we can fit on your deck. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, from the Keto Fest, uh, the people at Keto Fest. And, uh, and the other thing is that, Leading up to Keto Fest, we do a lot of preparation work and we have a lot of people come in, volunteers coming in to help us out with getting mm. Keto Fest up and running. And a lot of those people are all at the VIP party as well. And these are people who are, you know, long-termers in the ketogenic community. So it's almost a who's who. You know, you're walking around the, 
you're walking around the VIP party and are like, oh, there's Stephen Finney talking to Rich, Professor Richard David Feynman. Oh, there's Eric right. Westman. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's remarkable. So it is, it is, it is a real uh, special part of the whole KetoFest experience. In other news, um, I successfully quashed my morning hunger twice this week with peaches and cream keto chow. <laughs> ah, on the keto chow. Nice. So, so tell me how you make it. So, how you, first of all, somebody asked, what's the recipe for keto chow? It's, it's a product. And if you just mm-hmm. Google Bing it, you'll find it. But uh, you can buy it on Amazon, too. It's, it's basically a powder. But it's a nutritionally balanced uh, you know, uh, powder that has vitamins, nutrients, minerals, protein, and uh, you mix it with heavy cream or butter and so you, water. Right. Yeah. And then you blend it up and put it in the fridge for at least 30 minutes. And what I've been doing is I've been making it before I go to bed, putting it in the fridge. So first thing in the morning, rather than, you know, making myself breakfast if I'm, you know, hungry, I'll just grab some of that and man, it's not two o'clock in the afternoon before I actually feel like eating. Yeah, it's a meal replacement. It's not right. You know, it's not something you have with a meal, but yeah, um, yeah. The yeah, I I generally use um, uh, MCT oil and a little bit of cream mm-hmm. um, with mine, but uh, yeah, and and then of course water. It's mostly water. So um, yeah. I said this last week that um, Kelly, my wife, really likes the chicken soup, and so what I do is if I with make butter, right? Yeah, yeah, I make it with butter, but I also instead of water use chicken stock. So I make my own stock, of course. Right, of course. So I use stock and I use butter, melted butter, and that just makes the best chicken soup. It's like a thick cream of chicken soup. Nice. It's a really good uh, dinner. It's really good mm-hmm. dinner. You throw some mushrooms in there if you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nice. good. Nice. So that's what I've been doing. Uh, this is a very special episode for me. We're going to get to it in just a minute. But first, we have this little matter of reading the... All right. Well, I'm going to read a post from July 2018. Uh, This is by Chris Esquilin. I think that's how you pronounce... On the forum. I think that's how Mm -hmm. you pronounce his name. Mm -hmm. Uh, Title is, Two Keto Forums Newbie. My 100-pound weight loss in seven months story. Mm-hmm. And there's a picture of him, and he looks absolutely amazing. He says, Hi, Keto Forum family. My name is Chris Esquilin. I've been listening to the two Keto dudes for a little while now, but this is my first post. After hey, Chris, reaching, are you listening? <laughs> yeah. After reaching my highest weight last year of 349 pounds, I knew that I desperately needed a change. My family has a history of high blood pressure, diabetes, etc., and I don't want to go down that path. My younger brother started keto last year and lost a great amount of weight. We had known about keto for a few years, but were always very skeptical. After hitting our highest weight, my wife and I decided to dive right in and go keto. I've been very grateful for the podcast, the forums, and all the resources available to help keto newbies in the journey. After a couple months on the journey, I started incorporating high-intensity training as well as weight training at the gym. Nice. That, along with intermittent fasting, has really helped me drop significant weight. I checked the scale over the weekend, and I'm now at 249 pounds. I'm so excited to be down 100 pounds, and I plan to keep going. 
I have about another 30 to 40 pounds to hit my goal weight, and I'm as motivated and excited as ever. Thank you for all the support on this forum, and I look forward to seeing your stories, Chris. Nice. Well done, Chris. That's yeah. about the same amount of weight that I lost. Um, and I started uh, probably maybe nine pounds lighter than you. Um, uh, I was uh, actually 10 pounds lighter than you and mm. uh, lost almost the same amount of weight. And I was about 30 to 40 pounds away from my goal weight and uh, or what I thought was my goal weight. Um, and uh, it put, I pretty much plateaued there and I sort of went up or down depending on how much exercise that mm. I was doing. Uh, but for the most part, uh, I, I discovered that um, what I thought was my goal was unrealistic given the amount of muscle that I had on my body from carrying yeah. around a 350-pound body. Yeah. So, um, you know, that uh, it took probably uh, another six years to start for the for for my muscles to like my 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 calves and quads are just massive and mm. and um, that's not a good thing that's just from carrying around a three hundred fifty pound body and cycling up hills with it and that um, so it yeah. took about six years for that to start to come down to a more a more normal size so mm. um, it it doesn't happen quickly once you get down to the point that you're at it, uh, the 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 goal really at this point if I was to go back in time to where you are uh, I would. And what I would tell myself is try not to think about a weight loss goal, but think about a lifestyle goal. Think right. about, okay, what do, I, what do I want the rest of my life to look at in terms of how much exercise I'm doing, um, how much weight I'm, weight I'm, I'm, I'm lifting and, and what kind right. of food I'm eating. And that's really the goal now is to start to build the content of your lifestyle around, uh, around a goal. Even the word goal is is kind of misleading because it's as mm. you know you reach the finish line you say, okay I did it now what you know that yeah. n- now your life begins you know yeah. so it's not yeah, exactly. really a, a goal it's a lifestyle as Richard said you know for example uh, I'm not diabetic but I have put on weight since I lost it you know mm-hmm. um, but I'm still healthy relatively healthy yeah because I don't want to be diabetic right I'm going to be yeah. eating keto for the rest of my life. Well, yeah. as Dr. Professor Finney told us last week, uh, the body hits a certain homeostasis, and yeah. and and the homeostasis level is different when you remove carbohydrates from the question. Mm. And in Chris's case, in my case, it's a hundred pounds different, so it's a yeah. big deal. Yeah, so. it is. And uh, speaking of exercise, I I recently cleaned out my garage. Oh, that <laughs> that's a hard work. Garage, yeah, I know the garage. the garage is. Yep. It's a great house, um, but, you know, the garage was never finished, and it was built in 1989. Mm-hmm. And so, there's a lot of, you know, old fiberglass hanging out of the walls and stuff, and it's just <laughs> kind of dirty and stuff. So, we, we decided that we're going to have it finished, you know, sheetrocked and all that, mm-hmm. put in some real lights and making it a, a good space. But first, it has to be dunged out. And we've cleaned it out a couple of times, but this time, we really got rid of all those old computers from the 90s that nobody's ever going to boot up or use again, you know, mm-hmm. like yep. old flatbed scanners that don't work anymore and things, <laughs> just tons of crap. So, I found in there a total gym that I had bought oh, that I had yeah. never put together. So, that's going to happen. We're going to put that yeah. together. 
Excellent. We, I believe it or not, I had a podcast recording booth in my bedroom <laughs> because that was, that was like the only place quiet enough in the house. And then once I built this studio in here where I am right now, one of the rooms is my studio. I, we removed that. So we have this empty space in the bedroom. I'm going to set yeah. up the total gym in there. Nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you sheet Rocky Garage, then that's actually, that would be a good place for your gym as well. That, well, yeah. Once, well. once that happens. Sure. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Excellent. So that's it. Let's uh, talk Thanksgiving. Mm. This episode for me, uh, I chose it because this was the first Thanksgiving that I cooked ketogenic. Mm. And, you know, you and I both offered some great advice for cooking. Uh, and, you know, for me, it was about the turkey, the stuffing, the gravy. You have a great uh, recipe for squash. So, if I had to do anything differently, I would have made the stuffing with Fox Hill Kitchen's croutons rather than Mahler's low-carb bread. Mm-hmm. And I've since ditched it because it contains wheat. Uh, yeah. I also would have used glucomannan powder, also known as konjac flour, rather than xanthan gum to thicken the gravy. Right. These days, it's glucomannan all the way. <laughs> it's really hard to get in Australia, but uh, I managed to get some last time I was in America, and I'm starting to run low, so yeah. I'm going to have to uh, pick some up uh, next time I come over for Keto Fest. Yeah. So, I remember, uh, did you listen to the show? Because you were like, oh, man, you're making yeah. me want to cook a turkey now. <laughs> <laughs> it's turkey season. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to do some, uh, I mean, uh, of course, it's not turkey time, season yeah. for you. It's springtime. <laughs> but in the fall, uh, in the autumn, in uh, you know, or as close as to autumn as you get, are you going to do a, a, a sort of a turkey dinner thing? So. What I what we do is we can pick up a goose around Christmas time, okay. And uh, so, um, but that's yeah, like winter. That's that. oh no, that's summertime. Summertime, for you. middle. It's yes, yeah, yeah. Summer. So I always like towards it, the end of summer. Yeah, I liked it as Christmas in Australia is like we throw some <laughs> shrimp on the barbie. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, go to the beach. Well, I, traditionally, we still uh, we still do the hot meals, which is kind of stupid. Um, but you mm. know, for Christmas is also in the you know is in the middle of uh, the middle of the summer, and uh, mm. and we we decorate with uh, you know uh, uh, snowmen and uh, you know <laughs> <That's really laughs> fr- weird. Cr- snow frosting on windows <laughs> and everything. I'm dreaming of a hot Christmas. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, a hot Christmas, hot hot cuisine. All right, well let's. Uh, Pick up from episode 39 where we started talking about Thanksgiving. Cooking has been on my mind today because- You've had a big day. I did have a big day. <laughs> I've been researching what I was going to do for Thanksgiving for a couple of days. And then I went shopping this morning and I spent the whole day in the kitchen. Nice. And uh, I had friends and family over for dinner. It was about seven of us and uh, served Thanksgiving dinner early. We're about three weeks before Thanksgiving. We're, we're recording currently uh, in early November, and uh, Thanksgiving's towards the end of November, right? Yep, that's right, November 24th this year on Thursday. Now, I'm, I'm Australian. We don't have Thanksgiving in Australia, but I lived in America for eight years, and so I, I – in fact, within two months of moving to the States, I had my first Thanksgiving with a Cuban-American family, and that was in – Tense, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I got a, I got an early introduction to it. Yeah, it's one of those holidays that uh, has always stuck with me. Uh, it's an American holiday, but many cultures have 
both a holiday in which they give thanks, mm. but also maybe an autumn festival, that, and it might be the same holiday, that there's generally, uh, it's all about seasonal foods. Yeah, it's like post-harvest, you know? really, isn't it? So you do all the right. work, you get the harvest in, you get, and then you have a big feast and be thankful for the, for the year's bounty. Yeah, for the bounty, exactly. Mm. And um, so I, and Canadians have Thanksgiving, but they have it in October, and it's called Thanksgiving. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but it's different. You know, it's different. In America, we've got this lore built up around Thanksgiving. You know, the pilgrims came over on the Mayflower, right. and uh, they settled, and they all starved to death. And if it yeah. weren't for Squanto and the Indians who showed them how to plant corn, and maybe they had some pheasant and stuff, and they had this big peace offering... And then we beat the living snot out of them. So. <laughs> well, they did. They did introduce you to corn, so right <laughs> as carbs. Yeah, exactly. Well, I found that uh, I was reading a great book by Bill Bryson called "Made in America." Okay, and he tells the story of Tisquantum, or Squanto for short. But uh, Tisquantum in 1614 was captured in Massachusetts by Captain Thomas Hunt, mm. who was a lieutenant for Captain John Smith, who lured him and 23 other friendly Native Americans on board Hunt's ship okay. uh, with the promise of trade. And then, of course, they locked him up. And yeah. uh, there's the, the record is vague whether he landed in Spain or not. But it, eventually, he made his way to England. And there he was uh, an interpreter for Captain Thomas Dermer. Wow. And uh, so this was all happening before the pilgrims landed in March of 1621. Wow. But uh, anyway, let's talk turkey, shall we? So Thanksgiving's not Thanksgiving without turkey, right? Yeah, that's right. Why is that? Apparently because of the lore, right? You know, the, okay. the first Thanksgiving was between the settlers and the Native Americans, and they basically cooked a bird of some kind. Most people will say it's a pheasant, but, you know, in the popular culture, it was a turkey because yeah. turkeys are everywhere in America. And turkeys are American. They are. Uniquely American, whereas pheasants you know, get all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what I've done for turkey since I can remember when, and I can't, I can't ever remember. It's been probably 20 years I've been cooking a turkey this way, right. using the Julia Child method. Okay. And I talked a little bit about this on the show where I talked about the stuffing, but and we'll get to that. But the basic idea is that you debone it. You take out the backbone, which is connected to the breast. Yeah. And you, you basically cut down the sides of the backbone and uh, snip it out. So it's like a spatchcock then, is it? You're spatchcocking it? Well, spatchcock takes it a little bit further okay. and you take out the backbone and then you split it so yeah. it's flat. Right. Yeah. Yep. So it's one step towards spatchcocking, but not okay. quite all the way. So basically then you take the legs off at the mm -hmm. thighs Yep. and take the femur out of the thighs. That's the thigh bone. Yep. And replace it with herbs and salt and sort of roll that up together. And you actually end up cooking the breast and wing over stuffing. And then you end up cooking the legs and thighs together in a separate pan, which takes less time than the breast does. Yeah. So you can uh, wait a half an hour before you put that in the oven. Yeah. And the whole thing takes half the time uh, of a traditional turkey where everything's roasted overnight. But the whole trick of it getting a turkey done right is you want it tender and juicy on the inside, not dry, and then yeah. have that crispy skin on the outside. That's oh, the whole yeah. holy grail. Skin is the good stuff. <laughs> so this year, 
However, um, I decided to do all thighs. Okay. Because you know what? Breast meat is kind of yeah, just dry, boring, boring and dry and proteiny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I want something moist, meaty, and fatty. And everybody else likes breast meat. So, you know, if you're buying your poultry in uh, pieces, then uh, thigh meat's cheaper. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So what I did was I bought four thighs with mm-hmm. the bones in, just the thighs, not the drumsticks. Yep. And then I also bought four chicken breasts. Well, two split chicken breasts, so four quarters. Okay. And I cooked those along with the thighs because – you know, for the people who wanted white meat and yeah. there you go. I actually did that because I couldn't find any fresh turkey breast in right. the uh, grocery store today that looked like I wanted to eat it. So mm. so here's what I did. I didn't have to take the bird apart, but I did have to remove the bones from the thighs. And, and having a good turkey experience for me is all about the gravy. Yeah. The gravy is key. And you really can't make gravy sing unless you make your own stock. Yeah. You know, you make your own bone broth. Yeah. And so what I do for that is I take those femur bones and I put them in some olive oil. I I added some sage and rosemary and I just cook them on medium heat in a, in a, in a pot. And I let that go and turned it over and turned it over and let them get crispy and brown and man, that starts smelling so good. You get up the milliard reaction going and yeah. uh, those bones get all crispy. Then I add some garlic, chopped garlic. Yeah. And about a half a gallon of water. Bring that all to a boil. As soon as it gets to a boil, reduce it down to a simmer and let it cook down. And right. I still want to see bubbles. Yeah. Because I want the steam evaporating. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's reducing and getting really delicious. One trick you can do with uh, with reducing sauces is you get a desk fan and you put it over the over the pot and you have it blow across the pot and what it does is it takes away all of the steam that's above the pot so that it so that it encourages more to be produced. Wow, so, that's a great yeah, idea. It works really well. Yeah, you only need a, sm- only need a small little fan. That's so great. Just I'm going to do that, that next time. Move that air. Wow, yeah. it'll, it'll double, I, I, double the speed. No kidding. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Okay, so then you lay the thighs open and you put your herbs in there. And I like fresh herbs like sage and rosemary. Mm -hmm. Um, If you want to put a little garlic in there too, you can do that. A little salt and pepper, whatever you like. But but the sage is the most critical herb here, I think. Yeah, it's very easy to grow your own herbs and, you know... uh it's one of the first things, if if you were deciding to grow your own plants, herbs would be one of the first because they can take a beating. You can, uh, yeah. you can have black thumbs and still, <laughs> and still grow parsley. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I also cooked these chicken breasts, as I said, and what I did for those is I put them in a zip bag oh, yeah. with water, salt, and garlic powder, and I just put them in the fridge to let them brine for a couple hours. Sure. And, you know, brining overnight would have been better, but a couple hours is still pretty good. Yeah. And then I took those out of the bag and patted them dry so they didn't have any water on them. Nice. Yeah. Uh, took all of these things, the the breasts in one pan and the the legs in another pan, the turkey in another pan. But before I put them in the pan, I took about two teaspoons of bacon grease from my stash mm. and I spread that all over the bottom of the pan. Nice. That just is going <laughs> to... Oh, How good is bacon grease? Oh, so good. Yeah, health food. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, it's it a really good is. diet. 
I know it's terrible. So, so uh, you got bacon smeared on the pan, right? Yeah, exactly. So I got bacon spread on the pan. I put the thighs in one pan. I put the chicken breasts in another. Those yeah. go in a three fifty oven. And for me, they were small, so it was about an hour and a half total. But mm. bigger thighs, you might have to cook for two hours, maybe yeah. two and a half, maybe two and a quarter. You'll have to check them. So while that's going, I'm simmering down my stock, and about thirty minutes before the meat is done, yeah. I strain the stock through a strainer yep. or a sieve or a mesh or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And so now I just have the liquid and I just put that aside to cool. Now there's a reason that it's got to cool okay. because I'm going to thicken it with xanthan gum. Ah, so you don't use a roux. No. Which is traditional ways of using flour, right? Yeah, traditional ways of using flour. And I never really liked flour gravy. It was nice no. and thick, but it leaves that, that uh, aftertaste, that chalky... Yeah. Flowery aftertaste, right? The texture. That particular kind of white gravy is a very American thing. I noticed. I, I'd never seen mm. it before I moved to America, and then I saw it everywhere. So um, yeah. for people outside America, you probably wouldn't be used to it, but it's a, it's a, white, it's a white gravy. Yeah. It's basically flour and butter and salt yeah, and right. some, you know, if you're and really stock. terrible, yeah. you use not stock, but you'd yeah. use bouillon, <laughs> you know? It's just nasty. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So after the stock cools, and I'm talking 20 minutes at least, you know, and it can't be really hot. Yeah. I'm going to thicken it with xanthan gum by dissolving a quarter teaspoon of xanthan gum in a little bit of olive oil per cup of liquid. Okay. So I got about four cups of liquid, maybe five. So about a teaspoon. So I used about a teaspoon. Yeah. And and what I'm going to do is put that all in a blender and then add the oil with the xanthan gum in there ah, and then blend right. it. And if it's hot, when you blend it, guess what happens? Goes everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Because the steam pops the top off. Right. And hot liquid goes everywhere, including on you. Yeah. Ask me how I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But you only do that maybe three or four or five or 15 times before you learn your lesson. <laughs> oh. Once, once was enough. But what, what's happening in the blender is that you're going to emulsify that oil with a xanthan gum and you're not going to have any granules. Yeah. And the typical problem people have with xanthan gum is they think they can just sprinkle it into hot liquid and stir it (laughs) and that doesn't work. No. Yeah. You're going to end up with little lumps. Clumps. Yeah. Clumps and lumps and not very thick. So, so there you go. Now. Here's what happens when the turkey comes out. Mm. You take all the drippings from that pan and just mm. add it to the gravy. Yeah. Of course add you do. Add it to the gravy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then you salt and pepper to taste and uh, bring it to the table because you got some hungry people there that wants want to taste that turkey. It's not so much gravy now. It's liquid schmaltz. It's schmaltz. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. That's the Yiddish word for chicken fat. And uh, that, Yeah. Nice. Just wonderful. So there's the turkey. Mm. All right, let's move on to the stuffing. Yeah. I talked about the stuffing before on the show. This is a low-carb Thanksgiving sausage stuffing. Some people call it dressing. Sure. So this is exactly the recipe that I would make before I transformed myself with a ketogenic diet, except for the bread. Right. And I use Mahler's low-carb bread for the croutons, and everything mm. else is exactly the same as you'd make stuffing. So if you have a favorite way to make stuffing with chestnuts or mushrooms or whatever, I like to use sage 
sausage. Yeah. Along with the mirepoix, which is chopped celery, carrots, and mushrooms and garlic. Yeah. Sauteed in an entire stick of butter. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) And then I just nail it with fresh sage and some thyme and rosemary uh, and some black olives, maybe some onion powder. Mm. And before you add the chicken stock, you need to have the bread in there. So what I do is I toast about seven or eight pieces of Mahler's low-carb bread. Right. And I chop it up into cubes. Mm. So all of that goes together in your pan with the chicken stock. And now you've got a lot of liquid in there. So you've got to sort of simmer it down. Sure. As you're doing that, you know, the, the, the liquid gets absorbed in the, in the bread mm. and it all just gets really happy together. And yeah. you have plenty of opportunities to taste it. <laughs> I'll bet you do. <laughs> and what's best is that once all that liquid is burned off, there's still the fat in there. There's still the yeah. butter. Oh, and yeah. so you turn it down on low and some of it's going to stick to the bottom of the pan and get crispy. Mm, fond. The fond. Yeah. yeah. So you just, you know, you can keep scraping it off if you want, or you just let it crust up. Yeah. And it's going to be wonderful. Yeah. If you want to do the traditional stuffing the turkey, you can do that too. Yeah. Just put a mound of stuffing on a pan, put the breast over it and cook it that way. We don't do that these these days much with uh, with birds. I think this Christmas we're probably going to try and get a goose for the first time in a long time. And we, we rarely stuff the actual birds with uh, stuffing mix, normally just chuck a lemon in there or something like that just to keep the carcass expanded out a bit. Um, oh, that's a great idea from, too. Yeah, prevent it from collapsing in on itself. And then that lemon at the end of it is sort of taken up all of the all of the flavors of the of the bird and uh, and you can then just mash the lemon into into a stock or something. Yeah. Like that. It's delicious. But the um the actual stuffing we we cook in a pan on the side by itself because the the thing is if you if you're putting it into a raw bird and then cooking the bird if you if you don't get the bird fully cooked, then the inside of that yeah. stuffing is inedible. So it's such yep. a horrible, wasteful thing to do to such delicious, yeah. uh, p- potentially delicious food. So, yeah. Right. And the good thing about putting a bird over stuffing is that the fat drips down onto the stuffing oh, and yeah. further flavors it. Yeah. But you know what? That's what gravy does too. So, yeah. True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, next I did some sides. Let's start yeah. with the broiled Brussels sprouts. I've done this before on Two Keto Dudes. And Richard, it turns out if you take any vegetable, cut it up, add a little olive oil, salt and pepper, and blast it under a broiler, guess what? It's going to taste awesome. It's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> so you've done broiled vegetables as well. I mean, Brussels sprouts is just the beginning. You can take peppers or mushrooms, onions, bok choy, parsnips, whatever yeah. you want. And yeah. uh, blast them in the broiler, and they taste great. I, I, it's a shame that we've been fed vegetables that taste so crappy all our lives. I know. I mean, that that cream spinach that uh, that I did that to- uh, I think maybe about ten episodes ago, we did a cream spinach. Yeah. It's one of my go tos, and I just love love spinach. Yeah, <laughs> I never would have thought. I like mushrooms too. <laughs> There's yeah. all these foods that 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 until I learned to cook and learned to find out what my own taste preferences were, yeah, um, were horrible steamed vegetables that you get in restaurants. Yeah, because people think vegetables, well, they can't have any fat on them. Otherwise, right. what's the point? No, no, no. Throw that fat on there. Incredible. Do it. 
Incredible. Yeah. So a couple of uh, classic sides for me, the cream spinach, as I mentioned. Also, I did a recipe once with the pot of marins, which are – they're like a winter squash in Australia. Right. Well, they're actually a French winter squash um, that you pick at harvest time and then you can eat over the whole of the winter. And I just put one of those in an oven with a bit, little bit of butter and then I just slide a knife in to, to make sure that they're perfectly done. Mm. Very easy to cook. And uh, you can even combine the two. You can even put spinach, cream spinach in your pot of marin oh, yeah. and serve it on a plate. So, uh, And we'll post the recipe to that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Okay, so next I want to talk about mashed potatoes. Yeah, oh yeah. First of all, it's not the potatoes why you like mashed potatoes. Okay, it is if you're carb addicted, but right. the flavor isn't in the potatoes. It's in the garlic and the butter and everything. The potato yeah. is just a, a blank canvas on which to put flavor, right? Yeah, absolutely. So if you start with something more flavorful, like say cauliflower, mm. and mash that up, um, you can actually have something that don't compare it to mashed potatoes. Just compare it to mashed cauliflower. It's really, really <laughs> right. good. Yeah. Now, I took this an extra step because a lot of cauliflower mash recipes that I see out there require you to boil or steam the cauliflower. Right. And what that does, it adds a lot of water. Dilutes the flavor. And doesn't really bring out the flavor. It yeah. dilutes the flavor. Yeah. And, of course, you don't want runny mashed anything. So mm. why do that? So what I did was, guess what? What? Broiled them. Broiled them. Yeah. I chopped up cauliflower and I added, guess what? Olive oil, gar <laughs> garlic, salt, and pepper. And I put uh, it under the broiler. Carl's special seasoning. <laughs> yeah. The difference between this and the Brussels sprouts is the Brussels sprouts go directly under the broiler. Okay. And this I put in the middle rack. A little bit more indirect. A little bit more indirect. I still want the heat, yeah. but I don't want them to, to brown so fast right. before the body of the cauliflower gets thoroughly cooked. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So sometimes you can put a little bit of uh, foil over the top of them just to stop them from getting that radiant heat so that they, 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 they it stops them from getting the heat directly from the element and they get it from, from the surrounding temperature. Right. Or you could just bake it at 500 degrees instead of broil it. Yeah. yeah. But broiling does crisp the top. And even better, if you have a convection oven, that can add a little bit more. And that's, that's exactly what I did is I, I put them under the broiler for about 30 minutes. In the last 10 minutes, I turned on convection right. and that really crisped up the edges of the cauliflower. Mm, lovely. So 40 minutes later, I take it out and I cooled it off a little bit because I'm going to put it into the food processor. And if it's too hot, there might be a little too much steam, which could condense mm. and turn into water and all yeah. of that. So, so I wanted to just cool it off a little bit, but I did add about three tablespoons of butter, <laughs> butter. and a little heavy cream. Just a little squirt, maybe a couple of tablespoons. And that all went into the food processor and it came out the consistency of hummus. Ah, yeah. So slightly grainy, but delicious. Yeah, yeah. And then, and with intense flavor, like not your typical mashed potato that you could just eat tons and tons and tons of. Mm. This is like seriously dense flavor. Yeah. And that roasted cauliflower flavor in it, it comes out brown, you know? Yeah. yeah. And you have a small spoonful and the flavor lasts in your mouth for, for minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different experience from mashed potatoes, but it's better. That sounds awesome. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to make that. I, I think I'm gonna have. A, you're making me want to have a Thanksgiving in Australia. You know that, don't you? All right, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, cranberry relish, cranberry sauce, that's a staple of Thanksgiving in America. Okay. And there are two kinds typically that people will buy. There's mm. the jelly, which it comes in a can and it just goes... <laughs> and it pops out in a can, perfect can form. I know, the, I've seen that. <laughs> there might be a few cranberries hole in there, but probably not. It's, it's just stuck a jelly. The, it's stuck on a plate in the middle of the table. And it's all yeah. can-shaped. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I've seen it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then there's cranberry sauce, which people will typically either make on a stovetop by boiling down cranberries with uh, sugar. Right. And a little water. Because they're very tart. So they they're very eat, tart. Yeah. yeah. Or, um, you know, cranberry sauce that comes in a can also, but is more like a sauce, right? Right. So, however, my mother has been making both the cranberry sauce and a cranberry relish from fresh cranberries. Okay. And she has been made ever since I was two. I can't remember a time when we didn't have this. Mm. And she sweetens it with orange juice. And puts orange zest in it. And of course, some sugar of some kind L sure. later on in her life, she would use honey or agave nectar, supposed yeah. good yeah. sugars. Good sugars. <laughs> yeah, good sugars. <laughs> Carl, of course, is using scare quotes around good sugars. Yeah, that's right. So, and, and she also added a little ginger to it, which is oh, a nice. really good combination with, mm. with cranberry. Mm. Well, anyway, I did the same, except that I added, uh, instead of orange juice, a little lemon juice and the okay. zest of an entire lemon. Yeah. Nice. And to prepare the cranberries, I, I blanched them in boiling water. In other words, I put them in water, brought it to a boil, and then just let them sit for like a minute and that's it. Yeah. So that they wouldn't cook, but they would blanch a little bit. They'd it soften softens a bit. the outside skin. Yeah. Yeah. And then I uh, strain that, put them in the food processor with the zest and a little lemon juice and sweetener to taste. Mm. And I didn't go overboard with the sweetener. And here's why. First of all, we're, we're ketogenic. We don't need yeah. really, really sweet stuff. Nah. Secondly, you really need that acid to cut through all the fat yeah. of uh, the rich gravy and the turkey sure. and the mash, yeah. you know, and, and just a little bit turned out everybody loved it. Mm. You just use a little bit of it. And it's relatively fresh tasting because uh, they're fresh cranberries. They're not yeah. cooked. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just wondering where I'm going to get fresh cranberries in Australia. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to see how I go. Yeah. <laughs> I could send you some, but I'd probably get arrested. Yeah. No. <laughs> Smuggle it in a boogie board bag. No. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think I've I think I might be able to find a source. I know I lived in Sweden for two years and when I was younger, and we used to have a relish there called lingonberries, or I think they're sometimes yes. called cowberries. It's a very similar to a cranberry, yeah. And I I, yep. I, I think I saw a, a sugar-free lingonberry um, paste, yeah, you know, lingonberry uh, spread um, in the delicatessen recently. So I'll see if I can find that because ling lingonberries would do the same thing. They're 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 not as tart as cranberries, but they right. they have that they cut they'll cut through that fattiness of your meal. Yeah, so, yeah. And my mother's uh, Swedish, so she's all oh, really? about lingonberries. Yeah, yeah. And that's probably why she was so into the cranberry relish too. Yeah, I love it. I got it. I, I mean, if I can find fresh cranberries, I will totally make this and uh, jar it up and store it for for autumn. Yeah. Awesome. 
Mm. All right. Okay. There's one more thing that I made that I need to talk about, and then I will hand it over to you because you've got some great recipes too. And that is the low carb pumpkin cheesecake mousse from sugarfreemom.com. Nice. So you've got to have pumpkin pie at a Thanksgiving, and this is probably the closest you're going to get yeah. to a pumpkin pie, right? That's a traditional. Right. If I had more time, I would have made a keto crust like out of pecans and erythritol oh, yeah. and butter, yeah. but I didn't do that. And I did use a different sweetener than they say here. Okay. Uh, they they use vanilla liquid stevia. Okay. And I didn't. I used sucrine gold which is an right. erythritol stevia blend, but it is brown sugar-ish. So it's got like a molasses essence added to yeah. the artificial sweetener. So it's, it, yeah, I have seen it. Yeah. I've just never used it. Yep. And I'm, I used it for the first time and it really works well with pumpkin. I mean, mm. if you think about it, the, you know, any any kind of spice, yeah. uh, you know, pumpkin spice thing is going to work really sugar. well with them. Yeah. 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 So here are the ingredients. You need two eight-ounce packages of cream cheese at room temperature. Okay. You need a 15-ounce can of pure pumpkin, not the pumpkin pie filling, but just pure pumpkin puree. Mm -hmm. You know, just a can of pumpkin. Yeah, yeah. Two cups of heavy cream, a pinch of salt, two teaspoons of pumpkin pie spice, one to two teaspoons of vanilla liquid stevia or to taste. And I just used the sucrine gold to taste. Uh, I think I ended up with three quarters of a cup of it at the end. Okay. Uh, one teaspoon of vanilla extract, but of course, use more because vanilla is awesome. I don't know. And uh, you can optionally top it with cacao nibs or a little sucrine gold. Okay. But uh, those are the ingredients. So for people outside of America, pumpkin spice is, I guess you could, quattro pieces, the, the, the French sweet four spice blend would probably be closest but it's really i guess cinnamon nutmeg cloves and allspice oh and and allspice right yeah mm-hmm. so yeah. um but in america everything <laughs> everything this time of the year is pumpkin spice flavor and pumpkin spice is one word <laughs> yes it's really em- embarrassing i know <laughs> it's uh, delicious pumpkin though. <laughs> spice lattes at starbucks are all the rage oh. yeah so here are the instructions. You start with a KitchenAid or a stand mixer and you blend the cream cheese and the pumpkin until smooth. Now, this is right. cream cheese at room temperature. I didn't start with mine at room temperature and guess what happened? Yeah, clump. <laughs> I got little bits of cream cheese all throughout the mix. Ah, well. Yeah, well. So live and learn. So now you just add the rest of the ingredients and blend until whipped and fully fluffy or about five minutes. And what's great about this is that uh, the cream actually whips. You actually yeah. get the whipped cream effect, so it lightens it up. All right. Yeah. And just adjust your flavors as needed. I w- added more pumpkin pie spice. I added more sucrine gold. I added more salt than they yeah. said because, you know, we're keto and we need more salt. Yeah. And it was unbelievable. Wow. Everybody liked it. I'm so going to do that, too. I'm going to do this entire meal. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I got, Richard. Hey, should we play the recipes theme? <laughs> recipes! It's time for recipes! <laughs> recipes! A little late, but okay. This this entire show is recipes. Oh, I'm going to do right. a recipe. Now, um, 
in Australia, we don't have Thanksgiving. What we have is the day after Christmas, uh, it's called Boxing Day in Australia. It's a, it's a holiday. You have the day off. And we have a lot of sporting events that all start on that day. There's a big Boxing Day cricket match in Melbourne um, where the, if the English are coming out, then it's the, the big Ashes match. It's a five-day sporting event where mo- the most likely outcome is a, is a no result. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and then um, it is kind of kind of like baseball. Imagine it taking five days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. So – uh, so that so there's the cricket and then there's a big sailing race, the Sydney to Hobart yacht race, which is down the eastern seaboard of Australia, which is quite a dangerous race. So that's all very exciting. Um, and so what happens on Boxing Day? These all these sporting events start, and you just had Christmas. You had your family over for uh, some of your family over for Christmas. The ones you like, the ones you don't like, all turn up on Boxing Day, and you and you basically sit around and eat leftovers and watch sport and fall asleep on the couch in front of the sport. So. My uh, my experience of uh, Thanksgiving in America was that's pretty similar similar to a Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, very similar. We just try to eat everything in sight. Yeah. That's it. It's a it's a competitive eating event. So um, yeah. what we often do in Christmas time in Australia is middle of summer, right? Absolute height of summer, and it's insane because we have these English traditions that we follow of having a ham and having a goose or a turkey or you know a, la- a large chicken and and lots of hot stodgy food. <laughs> <laughs> it's the middle yeah. of summer, um, but we also, you know, we'll have things like uh, shrimp. So uh, yep. you've heard this shrimp the on phrase the "shrimp on the Barbie." That's uh, that. We, so we'll have shrimp uh, often uh, uh, on uh, Boxing Day. But what we do like to do is we like to cook a ham and then let it go cold and then slice and have cold cuts of uh, of basically right. ham. Yeah, we do the same thing with ham in America. At least in my family, we did. Uh, we had a turkey and a ham. Yeah, usually, and both at Thanksgiving and Christmas. For those who celebrate Christmas, we did. And you eat the ham hot or cold? Both. So right. it starts hot and then it sits out. And then by about midnight, <laughs> when people get peckish, they start making yeah. ham sandwiches with the rolls, yeah. you know. Fair enough. So I'll give you our recipe. This is one that Julie's been doing for us uh, ever since we went low carb. We get a leg ham, a large leg ham, and we peel the skin back from the top. And you're basically separating that fat layer. So you're ending up with a little bit of fat in the skin, but most of the fat's on the meat itself. And then what we're going to do is we're going to lay a uh, dressing on that meat. And we're going to use miso uh, and apple cider vinegar. And it's basically an app. We're going to make an apple miso um, dressing on the top of that fat. And I'm trying so, to imagine what that tastes like, and it oh, tastes pretty it's, good it's in my umami, imagination. Yeah. It's very, it, it basically yeah. turns that fat into a very protein flavor, umami sort of, um, yeah. difficult to describe. Yeah. But it's, yeah. So we, we use two tablespoons of white miso. Uh, you can get miso, is a, it's a fermented soy mash. So um, you can get white miso or red miso. It's it's a it's an Asian, usually a Japanese um, ingredient. Um, but you get two tablespoons of white miso. You get about one and a half tablespoons of apple cider vinegar. And this is to thin out the miso. Right. We add instead of adding apple juice to it, which is what you traditionally do, we add seven drops of apple flavoring essence, which is an oil based oh. essence that gives a very strong flavor of apple without any of the glucose, without any, any of the sugar 
fructose. And wow, glucose. where do you get all these essences? You had an essence of pineapple too, right? Yeah, I I, I use uh, there's there's a website that uh, that specializes in these. I think a lot of people use them for baking, for making uh, flavored icing mixes. Yeah, okay. So you add a little bit of the the oil essence to the icing, and so you end up with mint flavored icing or pineapple flavored icing, apple flavored icing. So that's really where I get these from. But I'll put the link to uh, the place that Julie uh, buys them from. And so so we use uh, seven drops of apple flavored es- uh, essence, uh, one and a half tablespoons of apple cider vinegar, and the white miso, and you paint that on top of that fat on the ham. Wow. And then you put the skin back on top of it, and the skin basically is going to stop it from burning, and it's going to cook all of that miso into the fat. And I've got some little sticks that are used for traditionally used for eating a corn cob. We don't eat corn yeah. anymore since we've gone low carb. So I just jam straight into the skin to stick it to the meat. Yeah. Uh, I, I smoke uh, meat often, and so I'll often have a ham in the middle rack just for 30 minutes to just to get some smoky flavor in. Right. Then I put it in the oven, and I cook it for about an hour on low temperature in the oven. And uh, the whole point of that is for the fat to not quite render so it drips out liquid, but it cooks down just a little bit with the flavors. And so you end up with a really flavorsome bark around the outside of your ham. Yeah, that sounds and great. some of the flavor goes through it. So that's, that's, that's Julie's miso apple uh, ham. Sounds so good. And I'll put link. I'll put links in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, I'm not hungry, but I could totally have a bite of that right now. Yeah. No problem. So that's my recipe. And you spent the whole day with giving us recipes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I sort of felt obligated to, since uh, you really didn't have the Thanksgiving experience, uh, at least not all that much, and uh, don't yeah. really have the turkey and stuffing uh, down under, but. Uh, uh, I sort of, and believe me, it was no uh, sacrifice on my part. <laughs> I enjoy nothing more than spending the whole day shopping, cooking, and then eating a meal with my friends. Yeah. It's like a perfect day. And it's awesome because at least 30% of our listeners are outside of America. So this gives everyone an opportunity to have a Thanksgiving weekend. Sure. Why mm. not? Yeah. It's, it's really all about just good food and friends and family. And, and having gone through the keto adventure since January that you have, uh, both of us have been through the keto adventure, we've got plenty of reasons to be thankful. Yes, we do. I'm thankful for you, my friend. <laughs> and I'm thankful for your meal because I'm going to get it in my belly. <laughs> All right. So that's the show, Richard. Yeah. If you've got anything that you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something that you don't agree with, or some more research that you've found to support or refute what we've said, send it by email to dudes at twoketodudes.com or post it on our website. Or you can follow us on Twitter at twoketodudes or on Instagram at twoketodudes. And uh, our blog is blog.2keto.com. Our recipe archive is at recipes.2keto.com. Hey, yeah. the fathead pizza is at pizza.2keto.com. <laughs> the chocolate mousse is at moose.2keto.com. <laughs> and the list goes on and on. Uh, a list of links. Critical science is at links.2keto.com. Heard you say you're due for a little. Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening. We hope you get as much out of this information as we do in putting it together. You know, Two Keto Dudes doesn't take advertising revenue. We have no benefactors with hidden agendas. That's right. It's listeners like you who keep our lights on. There are a few ways you can support us, all of which are listed on our website at twoketodudes.com slash support. Thanks again. 
and we'll see you next time on Two Keto Dudes. Keto Dudes.